the lamb bleats disapprovingly and then settles down under the gentle hand of this young man. You notice that his hands are skillful. Then you look up at his face. You see he's got pink cheeks. It's clear he's been exposed a lot to the elements. Yeah, he's a handsome young man. Little patches of peach fuzz. He's not even old enough yet to grow a beard. Even though you can tell by his face and his body that he's very youthful. When you look into his eyes, you sense this is a young man who is sure of himself, has a sense of purpose, has a self-awareness. As he continues to care for the wound, he recounts in his mind and remembers the recent events that left this animal wounded. Yeah, it was a few days ago he was playing his harp as he was apt to do, worshiping his creator, Jehovah. When he saw something on the fringe of the flock, a little motion, a little movement, his ear was tuned. He knew trouble would always happen on the fringe. You know, there were a few sheep that refused to stay close to their shepherd. They thought they could venture out to the fringe. The shepherd knew that on the fringe of the flock is where trouble always happens. See, what had happened on the fringe is that a devourer called a bear had spotted one of the lambs, one of the lambs that this young man had been charged to keep, to watch, to take care of. The bear on the fringe of the flock pursued and snatched the animal by its leg. It was ready to take the animal away to devour it. One thing to understand that the devourer always looks for those that are on the fringe, always seeks to wreak havoc on the lives of those that feel like they're safe, not being in the midst, not being close, not being there in the heart and center of what God's doing. This young shepherd, when he saw the bear with the lamb, knew that he had to act. This young shepherd named David didn't mind that most shepherds would have just chalked it up to collateral damage if a bear was running off with one of his lambs. It's too late now. This job is not worth risking my life or my health. After all, I'm just a shepherd. It's not like like losing one of these lambs would be the end of the world. There was something about this young man that was different. He didn't even entertain this type of a thought process. He acted instinctively. He said in himself, no doubt, these are not my lambs, but this is my responsibility. I am a keeper of sheep. I was to keep these lambs and keep them I will. So he ran to the rustle on the edge of the flock ran to the struggle and smote the bear with his fist, took the lamb out of the mouth of the bear, delivered and released the lamb from this bear. And then the bear turned in anger upon the shepherd boy and began to attack him. He's remembering in his mind that then he grabbed this animal by the fur of his head and began to beat him relentlessly with his fist until the bear was dead. 
Huh. Yeah, I'm called to be a shepherd. You better believe I will be the best one that I can be. I'm a keeper of sheep, and I'm going to keep this one. Even though his brothers and other people would make fun of his humble responsibilities and his dogged commitment to his job, he was a called person. A called person is one who sees himself as a steward of every responsibility and every opportunity that comes his way. So as his little thought and memory entertained in his mind, he comes to the end of wrapping and caring for this wound and the lamb licks his hand approvingly and David releases him to return to the flock. Then, then he hears a voice, a faint voice of someone shouting his name in the distance. He quickly looks over the direction of the shout And he saw one of his father's servants running towards him as quickly as he could. The servant arrived, bent over, gasping for breath, and began to declare his purpose. Between gasps of breath, he was excitedly saying something about the prophet Samuel. What? What is it? Oh, Samuel's at the prophet Samuel? Is at our house? He's with dad at the house? He wants me to come? What what for? Why would the prophet Samuel want me at the house? Then as the story goes, 30 minutes later, David is standing in the midst of his father's household, dripping with the apothecary oil of anointing. His brother's looking at him wide-eyed, his father embracing him with tears streaming down his face anointed. What did Samuel just say? Did he say something about the king of God's people? As David sat there with the anointing dripping off of his face, his family around him, he suddenly began to feel the spirit of God and the anointing of God as the spirit came upon him from that day forward. Wow. You talk about an eventful day. You talk about a red-letter day in the life of this called person. What was it about David, this man after God's own heart? Why would he be selected by God to lead God's people? He was not raised in the court of a king. He was not given the best of education. He was not born with privilege and wealth. He was not even esteemed among his own brethren. And in his own family, what was it that caused David to be selected for such a role? Maybe this has something to do with helping us understand the mindset of Jehovah, God. But see, Jehovah didn't stay in an invisible state in the heavens. The Bible says he was manifest in the flesh and dwelt among humankind. And when you read in the New Testament of the Bible, every time you read a red letter, you're reading the words of Jesus, which are the words of Jehovah God revealed to the earth. Jesus told a story one time about a man that was going away on a trip and he had three servants that he gave talents to. One five talents, one two talents, one one talent. He went to the man that had two talents and he said, he also that had received two talents came and said, Lord, thou deliveredst unto me two talents. 
Behold, I have gained two other talents beside them. His Lord said unto him, Well done, good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of thy Lord. The man with one talent looked at his limitations and said, There's nothing that I can do to make a difference. He didn't take what he had been given seriously. But the man with two talents knew it wasn't a whole lot, but he said, I'm going to do what I can with what I got. And the master said, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a few things. I will make you a ruler over many things. I wonder if God calls people who view their current job as a calling. Maybe God calls people who view their current job as a calling. If this young man is as serious about shepherding sheep as he is, maybe he will take the job of shepherding Israel seriously. He's been faithful where he's positioned. He senses himself as being called wherever he is. I will call him to a greater responsibility. So this great hero of faith, David, who slew Goliath, David, who killed ten thousands of Philistines, this great hero of faith who established Israel as a world power and extended the borders of Israel's control ten times during his reign as king was a called person. Everybody say called person. What is? I'm not saying cold person. I said a called person. What is a called person? A called person is a person who finds fulfillment in work, whatever that work is. A called person is not one who is on a constant quest for fulfillment because when you live your life as a called person, fulfillment finds you. The big difference maker in a person who is a called person is a big word, important word, a significant word, and that word is attitude. Everybody say attitude. David had the attitude of a called person. Your attitude is important. The attitude that you take with you to work. The attitude that you have about your life. Your attitude has the power to lift you up or tear you down. Can I get an amen? Bad attitudes compound when they're exposed to other people. When you have a bad attitude and you get around other people, it begins to multiply. Rotten attitudes will eventually ruin everything. You ever heard the story about the one bad apple? What did it do? It ruined the entire basket. A person's attitude will always impact his performance. Attitude colors everything. Everything that you do is colored by your attitude. It determines how you will see the world and how you will interact with others people. Amen. Doesn't matter how much talent you have, what your track record is, or the circumstances of your life, your attitude will always, somebody say always, always impact your performance. This week in our life group, I will share a story with you, a story about a new worker that came into a factory, and that new worker asked the person that was managing, uh, or the, the, the manager asked the new worker, Uh, 
let me get this straight. The new worker came to the manager and said, what is it like to work in this factory? The manager responded, what was it like at your last job? The person said, well, it wasn't very good. The conditions were bad. The bosses didn't understand me. It was really a frustrating place to live. The manager said, well, you know what? You'll probably find it the same way here. Amen. Somebody new came up and said, another person came up and said, what's it like to work here? He said the same thing. What's it like? What was it like the last place that you worked at? The person responded, it was a great place to work. I got along great with everybody. I loved the environment. The bosses were kind. He said, you'll find the same thing here. Because what's important is your attitude, and it will affect how well you do. If your attitude is bad, it affects your perspective. So before you consider changing jobs in hopes of finding fulfillment you seek, you better examine your attitude first. Can I get an amen? David had the right attitude about his job, even though it wasn't a job that was highly respected even though it was a job that was considered lowly and insignificant. His attitude was, I'm not working for myself, I'm working for Jehovah. And whatever I do, I'm going to do with all of my might. Amen. It's important to watch your attitude. It affects how you will succeed or fail at work. Do you believe what I'm saying? Can I get an amen? We're so quick to blame other people when things go wrong. I think it's important to get out the mirror first. Maybe I've allowed something to get under my skin. Maybe I've allowed it to affect the way I view everything. And when your attitude gets bad, it's going to be impossible for you to benefit the place that you're working at. The same thing applies to churches as well. It's important that we examine our attitude. Did my attitude become sour about the kingdom of God and about working for God? It's not about how much talent you have or ability you have or the circumstances that you are surrounded by. It is your attitude. Can I just say this now? I've been raised in a pastor's home. I've pastored now, excuse me, for 10 years. One of the saddest things that I can see is when someone's attitude about the kingdom of God, about their local church, about the leadership of their church begins to sour. Another sad thing is when somebody adopts someone else's grievance pastor for a minute right now. When we adopt someone else's grievance, someone else has a problem with something that's happened in the church, and they begin to talk about it, and we begin to uh, have a, a sense of feeling for what they're feeling, and before long, we found that we have adopted their grievance, uh, and we begin to pick up their attitude as well. There is a problem with that, because number one, you've only heard one side of the story. Amen, amen. Can I get an Amen. And number two, if you allow your attitude to become rotten, then you're no longer any good for the kingdom of God as well. It's very important. Can I be straight with you? I'm talking straight right now because it's very important for you to keep your attitude fresh and unto God and positive because your attitude will color everything uh, that you do. Amen. And it will determine your effectiveness, your strength, and your ability to thrive and survive in the kingdom of God. Can I get an rousing amen? Because the facts are you cannot live as a called person with a bad attitude. It will affect every area of your life. 
I want to say this, and I don't want it to come across wrong. It's just a self-reference that has to happen. Is I'm very, very grateful for my upbringing. I'm grateful for the parent, the, my parents that I have and the way that they taught me the, the values that they gave me about work. And I remember my first job, and I remember going into my first job extremely anxious to do well, extremely anxious to take care of every single responsibility. And I know that's because of what had been invested in me by my parents. I want to invest something in you today. I want to put something in you today, an attitude about your work, an attitude about your responsibilities, and an attitude about what you do. I started out with a paper route. I worked for a few few months at a funnel cake shop. I worked for several years at an ice cream store. I worked in a hardware store, and I worked back in the warehouse of a hardware store and and an industrial supplier. I worked packing trucks for UPS. I worked as a Pizza Hut delivery boy. I installed security systems in houses. I roofed houses. I was a student or a youth pastor. I was a school teacher. And every one of those jobs were fulfilling to me. I found satisfaction in those jobs, not because they were the greatest jobs on the planet and not because they were the most highly respected positions that a person could have, but it was because I sensed and felt that I was a called person of God, and wherever I was, I was where God wanted me to be, and I was going to do the very best. The very best, and every single job, the Lord Jesus gave favor to me. I received recognition at each job, and every job that I left, I left with an open invitation to return any time that I wanted when I moved on. It's not because I'm so skilled. It's not because I'm so perfect. It's not because I have great talent. And it's not because my personality is so appealing. I was pretty shy back then. But the reason was it was all about attitude. Amen. Maybe what you're doing right now doesn't feel like your life calling, but you can find fulfillment in your job if you approach it with the mindset and the right attitude. It's not as much about what you're doing It's a lot more about how you see yourself. Maybe you feel bad about your job because you feel bad about yourself. Maybe there are some things about yourself that need to be cleansed and changed and transformed. Can I give you a word of hope right now? The word of hope is that you don't have to be miserable and unfulfilled on your job. You can find satisfaction in your work. Talk back to the preacher, all right? You don't have to be miserable and unfulfilled. You don't have to hate your job and hate the people at your job. You can find satisfaction in your work. God's plan is for your attitude to reflect that of a called person. Someone who says, I'm not going to let the circumstances and the situations and the he said, she said affect my attitude about how I work, but I'm going to work as unto the Lord because I don't work for UPS and I don't work for the school system. Come on, somebody. And I don't work for transit authority, but I work for God in that position. And I'm going to do my very best because what I do, I'm going to do it as unto the Lord. The key to receiving 
God's recognition, and I'm sorry, but God's recognition means a whole lot more to me than any man's recognition. Amen. But what happens is, the Bible says that the, that the, the church, the church found favor with all the people. Jesus Christ grew in wisdom and in stature and in favor with the people. And when you put God first, and when you live a called life, see, some problem, some people, is they're only church people at church. They only put God first on Sunday. They only consider their relationship with God while they're in the house of God. If you want to be a called person, you got to be a called person on Monday, too. You've got to be a called person when the pressure is starting to be applied at work. You've got to realize and recognize. And this is, I'm going to tell you, I believe this is the greatest thing that I've developed in terms of an understanding. And I want you to get this point right now. You don't work for whoever you're working for. Amen. You don't work for whoever you're working for. So if you're self-employed, you better not work for yourself. You better work for God. And you better uh, take the attitude this attitude to the workplace with you that I am a called person and everything that I do, I'm going to do it as unto the Lord. Let me say it again. God's plan is for your attitude to reflect that of a called person. Colossians 3.17. Colossians 3.17 says this, Whatsoever ye do in word or deed, do all in the name of of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by Him. Whatsoever you do, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus. Praise God. So we will talk this week in the life group about some extremes to avoid having the rhythm of life as it relates to your work. The two extremes that I want to talk about is the driven person and the unmotivated person. The person who is driven and the person who is unmotivated. Neither one of these are God's plan. You may think, well, God doesn't want me to be driven. Not in a sense of what the definition of a driven person is. What is a driven person? A driven person is a person who worships their work and they will sacrifice everything to get Ahead. When I say everything, I mean everything. They will sacrifice their relationship with their spouse in order to get ahead. They will sacrifice family time. They will sacrifice time with their friends. And they will sacrifice their relationship with God to try to climb the corporate ladder. Amen. And they're often the very last one to realize that they are a driven person. Driven people often do achieve success, but the problem is they don't usually experience fulfillment. Can I say that again? You guys still awake? I mean, thought there was a lot of folk out there, but I don't hear nerding. Come on now. Driven people often achieve success, but they usually don't experience fulfillment. In Ecclesiastes chapter number 2, the writer of Ecclesiastes, the great King Solomon, the wisest man who ever lived, begins to talk about all of his accomplishments. He said, I've, I've, I've tried everything. I've eaten everything in the finest of restaurants, if you would. I've built, I've accomplished, had beautiful women. All of these things that I have accomplished with my skill and focus and ability. But at the end, he says, it's all meaningless 
like chasing the wind. And he even said this. He says, now I hate all the things that I toiled for. All the stuff that I wanted and worked hard for, I don't even like it. I hate it. And this writer is indicating, he's showing us what it's like to be successful but not fulfilled. And I I shared with you a few weeks ago that the suicide rate among wealthy people is higher than the suicide rate among poor people. And everybody said, "Woo, we're in good shape then. Praise God. (laughs) Amen. The higher your income, the more likely you are to take your own life. You know why? Because you cannot find satisfaction. You cannot find happiness. You cannot find fulfillment and accomplishment. You know, this even applies to ministry as well. There are people that achieve great things in the work of God, and they become driven working for God. That's not acceptable. Did you know that the founder of World Vision, his entire personal family was in shambles, even though he created this great organization that was focused on meeting needs around the world? He was so given to that and for that to succeed that he sacrificed his family on the altar of his own ambition. And there are people that do that and make that mistake and that failure because they become a driven person. And this is not the will of God. In our life group, we're going to talk about the characteristics of a driven person. You don't have to be wealthy or super wealthy to be a driven person. Some of you are driven people and you don't even realize it. And we're going to discuss how to get into rhythm. And at the end of your life, are you going to be stuck with a lot of regrets? Man, the regrets at the end of your life are probably not going to be that you didn't make as much money as you wanted to make, right? Regrets at the end of your life are probably not going to include, I didn't get as high on the corporate ladder as I wanted to get. But as you lie in that hospital bed and gasp for your final breaths, what is going to matter is people. And the biggest, come on somebody, the biggest mistake that you can make is thinking that you can live for things and be happy. You've got to live for people. You've got to understand the value of relationships. And you've got to understand the value of your relationship with God. And if you get your priorities right, you'll be a success but you'll be successful and fulfilled. You'll be able to rest at night. You'll be able to enjoy the laughter of your family. You'll be able to enjoy the relationships that are important and that matter. You'll be able to enjoy good times of leisure with great friends, and you'll do your very best at the place of work. This is what the rhythm of life is about, understanding that I'm not God's gift to the world, and I'm not going to accomplish great things. So that, And a lot of times driven people are one of two things. They're either raised in a driven atmosphere, number one, or number two, they're raised in an atmosphere where they can never be good enough, and they always feel like they're going to fail and they want to prove somebody wrong. And so they're, they're in this uh, mindset and attitude of I've got to succeed. No, I've got to please God. And as I please God, just like the shepherd boy saying, here I am, I'm here. Amen. God's put me here. I'm going to do my very best. I'm going to serve God in this role. And those that serve God where they are will find the call of God on their life for a new level. Amen. A new arena, a new area of God's anointing and purpose being fulfilled in their life. Amen, amen, amen. This is about what the rhythm of life is about. Amen. So it's about priorities. It's about values. It's about getting them straight. 
On the other end of the scale is the person who is a counterculturalist. This is the person that avoids work, who is not aggressive about finding work. They see work as bad or maybe unnecessary. Extreme cases, they become a panhandler, or maybe they live off of their friends or their family. The Bible addresses this as well. Second Thessalonians chapter 3 and verse 10, that's what the Apostle Paul said. He said, even when we were with you, this we commanded you, that if any would not work, neither should he eat. Can I read that again to you? That if any would not work, neither should he eat. So the Bible is very clear about this. Work is not the enemy. For if we hear that there are some which walk among you disorderly, for we hear that there are some among you that walk disorderly, working not at all, but are busybodies. Now them that are such we command and exhort. That sounds good. Sometimes we need to be commanded and exhorted. We command and exhort by our Lord Jesus Christ that with quietness they work and eat their own bread. So between the extreme of the driven person and the unmotivated person is the called person. It has the attitude that God desires for us to have about our work. This is the one who sees himself as a steward whose life is a gift to be invested and managed. Remember the story of the talents. The talents didn't belong to them. They belonged to the master. And they said, I'm going to take what I've been given and I'm going to do my best with it. It doesn't matter if you look at another person and say, well, look at the family they were raised in. Look at the education that they had. Look at all of the, the, the good things in their background that they had. Look, their, their, their chances of doing well are so much better than mine. That's not the issue. The issue is whatever I've been given is mine by God for a time. It's not what I own. It's what I've been given. And I'm going to invest it and manage it as best I can. The first idea of being a steward is realizing that you're not an owner. My life is not my own. I can't breathe on my own. Did you know you can't breathe on your own? Amen. I can breathe on my own. All God has to do is whisper the word and you won't take another breath. Amen. Sometimes we need to remember, you are God and I am not. So take your place above my life. I'm not all that in a bag of chips. He could take my breath in a moment. He's the one that woke me up this morning. He's the one that started me on my way. He's the one that allows me to be in my right mind, being able to do my work, being able to do my job. This is stewardship. So I even understand the, 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 the money that I earn, it's not mine. It's God's, and he wants me to manage it and invest it. That doesn't mean I can't spend any of it, but that means that I've got to find out how God wants me to manage my resources. My time is not my own. Amen. I see people hoard their time like they think it's all theirs. This is not your time. It's God's time. He gave it to you. You get to determine how to manage it, amen, and invest it. Uh, the problem is we just let life take the time away from us and do whatever it wants to with us, amen. But some of us, in order to get into the rhythm of life, to be clapping on beat with God, we've got to understand that our life is not our own, but we are stewards of our life. First Corinthians 6.19 says it this way, What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you? which ye have of God, and ye are not your own, for ye are bought with a price. 
Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. I like the apostle's cadence. I like the way he phrased it. He ended it with a question mark, but he wasn't looking for an answer. It was what's called a rhetorical question. Don't you remember that you are, your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, and you are not your own, but you have been bought with a price. Therefore, because you understand that, you glorify God through your body and your spirit, which belongs to God. That Bible verse is not talking just about Sunday. And that Bible verse is not talking about just your religion. But that Bible verse is talking about your everyday life. When I get up in the morning, this body is the temple of God. I am a called person. I'm not talking about being arrogant or focused on yourself, but I'm talking about walking into the workplace realizing this place is lucky to have me because I'm a called person of God. I've got anointing on my life. I can make a difference in this avenue. I can make a difference in this venture. There's the one person in here. There may be more, but there's one place in this person in this workplace who is an inhabitation of the Holy One of Israel. This is stewardship, understanding I don't belong to me. So I don't just make random choices about my life. But my life belongs to the Lord. And I want to live my life in such a way that it brings glory and honor to God. And it starts with my attitude. If my attitude about my job is rotten, I'm probably not going to come in there with the demeanor of a called person. I'm going to be just like everybody else. Amen. Amen. It's us against the boss. It's us against them. And that's a foolish attitude to have. Can I get an amen? You talking about the dude that writes your checks? The guy that's writing your checks? Why would you be adversarial with that person? That just doesn't make sense. It doesn't. Amen. You're working for them. Think about this. You have made an agreement. I will give you my time for a certain amount of money. When you give them your time, you don't just begrudgingly hand it to them, but they have bought your time, and you give it joyfully, and you serve them like you're serving the Lord. Somewhere along the way, God's going to tap you for something better. You may feel like you're toiling in obscurity, but if you get the right attitude, God's going to raise you up. Sometimes we need an adjustment. Sometimes we need a little adjustment to get things right because we get out of rhythm. What I've been teaching to you is Bible. It's not my stuff. This is Bible. And the Word of God has a certain cadence and rhythm in terms of expectation for your life. And when you get out of rhythm, you let your attitude take you out of rhythm, you'll find yourself kicking against the pricks like the apostle or like Saul did before he was the apostle Paul, trying to resist God. You're trying to resist it and do your own thing and wonder why you're not blessed and not successful. Get your attitude in line with the Word of God. Get your spirit in line with the Word of God and watch blessing begin to hover over your life. The Bible says it this way, be not weary in well-doing because in due season at just the right time, you shall reap if you faint 
not. Can I get an amen? Amen. This is the word of God. Hallelujah. My life is not my own. I can't leave, live to my own devices. A called person is one that understands the rhythm of life and balances his work with rest, worship, and play, leisure time, having good times, letting the merry heart do good like a medicine. Amen. This is important. So we'll be talking about this week in the life group. You'll be talking about how to find the right yoke. Some of you have a yoke that doesn't fit, a job that doesn't fit you. But for most of you, the greatest thing that needs to happen is your attitude needs to be adjusted. These kinds of things come to the, come to the surface as you talk about them with your friends. That's what's going to happen in your life group. So David, as I close, this called person, God said, I can trust this man with the kingdom. But even a called person can get out of rhythm. And David got out of rhythm at a certain point in his life. He uh, made a mistake. He took advantage of his power, his position, committed murder. First of all, adultery. Secondly, murder. Because of his position, He was able to cover it up and exercise his authority and power. The interesting thing about David is in his position of authority and power, strength. Possessing and owning the ability to take off anybody's head at any moment he wanted. He was the king to have anyone thrown into prison, anyone slain. Position of absolute authority in the kingdom. When he got out of rhythm, there was someone that showed up in his life and said, Yo, buddy, you're out of rhythm. You need a serious adjustment. David was a called man. And you've got to remain a called person even when you're exalted. David, in his position of authority, when he was exposed, sin was exposed to him privately by a man named Nathan the prophet. David, as a called person, humbled himself, took on sackcloth and ashes, He didn't strike out against the prophet that corrected him because he understood the prophet was his friend. He's trying to get me back into rhythm. Even in his failures, David could be corrected without becoming defensive or pointing fingers at other people. He said, I'll take responsibility. I'm a called person. David needed an adjustment to his rhythm, and he received it pretty painful and it took a little while but he got it to this day it's said of David that he was a man after God's own heart, think about that a murderer adulterer man after God's own heart, you know why because as a called person he understood that my attitude toward my real boss and my underboss The thing matters. My question to you, are you willing to be corrected? Are you willing to let your attitude be adjusted? Are you willing for God to make a transition or transformation in your life so that you can get back into rhythm? Or are you so convinced that you're right that you're willing to stubbornly go on marching to the beat of your own 
this morning as I was collecting my thoughts at Starbucks right around the corner here, typing out my thoughts on my laptop, there was a man sitting across from me. There's one guy that's in that Starbucks there every single day of the week. His name's Rufus. Some of you have been to that Starbucks. You've seen him, I'm sure. He was the Starbucks regular. And people would come by and talk to him every day. One of the guys that came in, came in and he let it be known right away to Rufus and everybody in the room that he was struggling with a severe, severe hangover this morning. And uh, as I couldn't help but overhear their conversation, he began to express regret. He said, why do I keep pouring all that stuff into my body? Why? The other regulars would come by, they would talk about, what did you do last night? Did you stay at home and watch TV? What are you doing today? Are you going hiking in the mountains? Going home just to hang out at the house. So I was thinking about the subject for today and how God's desire is that you would have life and life more abundantly. I couldn't help but think what empty, unfulfilled lives full of regret. And I sat there and tried to hold back the tears, but I couldn't as I wiped them away as I thought about it. Thousands, millions people within the scope of our church's influence who are just surviving, just existing, just living. They're not a called person and they're nowhere near living the abundant life, the rich and full life that Jesus has made available to us. And today, today I wonder if there's anybody before we leave here, we're going to pray together just for a moment. I know it's a little bit later today, but I'm thankful for what God did in this place. But for a moment, is there anybody that would like to say, you know, Pastor, I realize that I need adjustment in my life. I realize that I want to start fresh. I want to be renewed in the spirit of my mind. I want to have this adjustment happen in my life so that I can be a called person not just surviving, existing, not a driven person, not an unmotivated person, but a person that understands that I'm called of God and His purpose is going to be unfulfilled, uh, uh, unfolded in my life. Could we stand together right now? Stand together. Is there anybody here that would like to get in rhythm in your life? To get back in cadence with God, to have His favor and blessing on your life, on every aspect of your life. If that's you, I wonder if you just kind of step out of where you are and come up to the front right now. Can we do that? I think probably all of us recognize the need to let our values and our priorities reflect what really matters to us. If I'm sacrificing my relationship with my family, for a few extra bucks so I can buy a few extra nice things. I'm out of rhythm and I need to get back into rhythm. Come on up right now for a moment. We're going to pray together in Jesus' name before we leave here. Hallelujah. The greatest thing that can happen in a person's life is for them to be filled with the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And I am believing. I'm going to speak faith right now. I am believing that before this sermon series is finished, we will see almost right at 50 people 
receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in tongues as the Spirit gives them the utterance. How many believe that? And the final two sermons of the sermon series, we'll speak the sermon briefly, and then I've got a couple of gentlemen that are coming to help us that are harvesters. We're going to believe that between now and April the 17th that there are going to be 50 people that are going to receive. I, I, I got a witness from Brother Huckabee when he was there, here. He said there's a 50-soul revival in this church right now. I know that God is going to harvest people. And there are those of you that today have experienced, maybe for the first time, God speaking to you and God drawing you. It's a first step. One of the biggest tragedies would be for you just to walk out of here today and say, wow, that felt good, that was cool, and then just go on with your life. You'll miss the whole point. But God's calling you to take a step of faith. God's calling you to walk a new walk and have a new life, a life that's blessed and favored of God. It's a life of a called person, understanding their position in Christ Jesus. Can I pray for you right now? Lord Jesus, I thank you, Lord, for every person here today that has heard the word. And they recognize and understand a need, Lord God, for their life to be brought back into rhythm. There's no need, Lord Jesus, for us to be so stressed out because we haven't inserted rest into the rhythm. There's no need, Lord Jesus, for us to have a terrible attitude about the place that we work and the people that we work with. I pray right now for a healing. I pray, Jesus, a healing in the spirit. I pray for transition or transformation in the mind, the spirit of individuals here today who've allowed negativity to influence and affect their relationships with coworkers and their boss and at the workplace. I pray, Jesus, that you would take out the old heart that got rotten with offense and put into them a new heart that's seeking to serve seeking to do what you would call them to do and seeking to be an example of Christ Jesus in the workplace. I pray, Lord God, for those who are frustrated because of their work situation. I pray in the name of the Lord that the attitude of a called person would come upon them and they would trust and believe, Lord Jesus, that you won't leave them comfortless but that you will open doors and that they'll walk through the doors even if they're not preferable doors but they're doors and we'll walk through them and we'll do the best there and then, God, you can take us to the next place. But in the meantime, whether I'm a paper boy, Lord God, or whether I'm an ice cream scooper or whether I'm working in a factory or a warehouse, I pray in the name of Jesus that you would let me work there as a called person and let your anointing be on my life, I pray, in the name of Jesus Christ. All across this place, if you want to represent to your to uh, to the Lord that you are surrendered to Him and you, you want to be a called person, you want His anointing on your life, just lift up your hands right now as they begin to sing and lead us in worship. Let's let the Holy Ghost touch us right now in Jesus' name.
boldly declares, it's Jesus talking. He says, he says, to work while it is yet day. Because there cometh a time and there cometh a day where no man can work. And that lets me know while God is still moving and working in the lives of people, it's still daytime. It's still work time. And I have to give God praise, most importantly. I have to give God my all, most importantly. I've got to give God my everything because the work has yet to be done. And it's not going to happen with one person. It's not going to happen with one church. But the church of God is going to work together while it is yet day. Because there's going to come a time where he's going to call his church. But I better, I'm praying that I won't be one that's going to regret any time wasted that God gave me. Any moment where I just let him pass by. Any time where the word of God was spoken to me and I didn't respond to the word. And I'm praying that today, that as we respond to the word of God, that we would understand that it's still work time. It's still daylight. It's still an opportunity to give God our all. And it's not going to happen by accident. But it's going to happen when we line up to the purpose of God. As we pray this prayer together, I want all of us to pray, all of us here. And if there's something that you think is stopping you from working, a secret sin, a harmful relationship, Something that's holding me back. It's time to let God have those things. It's time to let go of those things. And the word of God calls it repent. And the word repent means to literally turn around and walk in the different direction that you've been walking. I don't want to be a worker of iniquity, which is self-will. But I want to be a worker, amen, of the purpose of God in my life. So all across the building, can we lift up our hands and begin to claim this prayer of faith upon us and say, Jesus, God, I ask right now as you have spoken a word to me, you've spoken a word of faith to me. God, I pray right now that I would repent of every sin. God, forgive me of every evil thought and every evil deed. God, and I pray that you would free me from these sins. Free me from these things that allow me to work in iniquity. But Lord, after today, I am committing myself to you and the work that I shall do will be the work of the Lord, the work of the kingdom. And I am going to work while it is yet day. And that is why I'm giving you everything that doesn't belong in my life. And I am walking out a new creature because your word declares you have begun a new work in me. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hallelujah. Amen. 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 God has begun a good work in your life. God has begun a good work in your life. He is the author and the finisher of your faith. Let him continue the work. Let him fulfill the work. Let him give you everything that you have been searching for. Amen. They're going to they're going to continue to pray. You can continue to pray. You can continue to talk to God. But if you feel amen that you have received everything that God wants to give you today, 
and you know it and you receive that, amen, feel free to greet one another, to love each other, and to encourage someone to work while it is yet day. God bless you. We love you, Life Church. Amen. And if you are available to help with the teardown today, we do encourage you to help us if you would. But they're going to sing one last song. Amen. And, and just be prayerful and let's be spirit led. God bless you.